First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, God's, who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I read that long passage because I wanted you to get the overview of it. There's a lot there that uh, there's a lot there that's pretty straightforward. A lot there, not a lot there, but some there that is a little difficult to understand. In, in fact, I couldn't explain it to you because nobody really understands what it's talking about. Particularly when Jesus goes and preaches to spirits in prison, uh, what that means, no one's quite exactly sure. There's a, there's several theories out there, but uh, the most important thing is the, the big impression that this passage gives us today. And one thing that it, that it hits me, uh, that hits me from this passage is urgency. Uh, urgency. Uh, Peter is speaking to people, if we go back to chapter 2, he's telling them who they are in Jesus Christ. You're a, a chosen people, you're a a royal priesthood, you're a a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Peter has been, since chapter 2, telling these Christians how they are to live, how they to live in relation to the government, you know, honor the emperor, uh, you know, Submit to the authorities. Submit to those who are in the government positions uh, above you. Uh, he's telling them how to live as servants or as workers. He's telling them what we looked at last week, how to live in the home as, as wife and husband. And now he's summing it all up and telling us, how do we live in the church, in the world, wherever we might go? And how do we interact with people? And there's a sense of urgency here. Uh, He says several things. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says, The time, uh, he says, don't live uh, as the Gentiles do. Uh, Those passions that everybody pursues, the lust, that's what the word means there, the desires, the over-desires. And he talks about uh, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. And he says that uh, the time has passed for doing those things. If, if, if you did those in the past, that's enough. You know, that, that suffices. Move on. Don't spend any more time uh, wasting time doing those things. And he's urging them to live out their faith in the church, and in the world. He begins by talking about having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. I think he's speaking, most of all, in the church. As I walked over today, I was talking to someone uh, here, and uh, we were just we were talking about something completely unassociated with this, but the conversation turned to 
uh, how people are treated in the church. And this person said a former pastor told him that the meanest people he ever met were in church. The meanest people he'd ever met in church. And probably more than just uh, a pastor could tell you that that's the case. And if it's true, and if people sitting in the pew here will say, yes, that's true, what about the people out in the world who have encountered Christians and have been treated not with humility, uh, not with sympathy, not with tender hearts, but with meanness, with condemnation. Now this passage talks about judgment. Uh, the, The end of chapter 4 He says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. That's where it starts. We need to look at ourselves. You know, as we enter this year, 2017, we're already a couple of weeks in. Uh, I know many people have made resolutions. Many people have made resolutions and have broken their resolutions. I'm doing fairly well, except for the physical part. You know, I, I said, you know, here are spirits. I want to read my Bible every day and do these, you know, I have a little plan here and I've got a plan for this. But the, the eating and exercise part, that's not coming real quick. So that's a, that's a, that's a problem uh, for me. But I sense an urgency uh, in my own life. And I'm rapidly approaching 50 here, I hate to say it. Uh, coming up in just a few months in the summertime. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to make it to 100. So I'm, I'm probably over halfway there. And who knows if we're going to be granted another second. Nothing's guaranteed. But I sense an urgency in my own life to put away those things that are a waste of time and to get on with the mission. What has God got us here for? What has God called us to now, our church has been through a lot in the past several years. Uh, the controversies, natural disasters, uh, mass exodus of people from the base who were here you know, in the 90s. I think uh, some of you who have been around remember that one year where 70, 80 people left because they were transferred away from Keister, and it was a real hit to the church. A lot of officers uh, were, were, let, were, were gone after that time. Uh, I was looking at the statistics and and our statistics said that in 1991 we had 500 members. And in just a brief, you know, 20, 25 years, we've got about 100 now. And not all because of, you know, our own personal difficulties, but just the things that have happened. Hurricanes, people have moved away. But now is the time, as we have spent since I've been here, kind of a time of healing and getting the ship steady. Now is time to, to capture that urgency and, and to think about how can the church grow? How can we reach out into the community? How can we take the gospel into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our workplaces? It's time for us to think about judgment, not just for ourselves, but for the world as well. And to be what he's talking about in verse 8. Sympathetic, brotherly love, having a tender heart, especially when we look out across 
uh, our spheres of influence and we see all the people who are lost and they're facing an eternity without God. They're facing an eternity of, of punishment because they have fallen short of God's glory. And the only way that they can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. They must hear the good news that they can be blessed by God. I love that. He quotes there in the first uh, several verses from Psalm 34, verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, Verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we say the benediction, sometimes we use the ironic benediction that you'll find in Numbers. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. A lot there about God's face. Now, any of the children who are coming on Wednesday night know the catechism question. Uh, you know, God is a spirit and he does not have a body like man. So he doesn't have a face, but he does smile upon us, and he has smiled upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can, we can have his fatherly love through Christ, through coming to him, through Christ, coming to the Lord through Christ, through his, what it says there in the verse uh, 17, I'm sorry, verse 15, is it? Is that right? 16, I lost my spot. 9, 10, where is it? 17, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's done it all for us. That's the good news. That's the good news that we've shared, that you're not righteous. You can't be righteous. You can't earn God's smile through your righteousness. But Christ has done it for us. That's the good news of salvation, that Christ has come... He paid the penalty for your sins and he has fulfilled all the righteousness. So when you come to him, trusting in him, all his righteousness gets credited to your account, even though you're not righteous. And all of your sin is laid on him and is paid for and is thrown as far as the east is from the west, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 103. So how are we to live in response to the gospel? As we think about what Christ has done for us, I think that's the motivation. How how can we have a zeal for the lost? We have to look at Christ. That's the most important thing. As we think about, uh, I told you before we read it, that there are several places that we can go to in the New Testament and see these same kind of instructions given to the church. You know, to love one another. To Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. He said it at, at the Last Supper. Uh, this commandment I give to you, this is the new commandment I give to you, uh, to love as I have loved you. Uh, how has Christ loved us? How has he loved us? Well, if we look at verse 8, uh, unity of mind, being like-minded, it means harmony. Of course, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He's in perfect harmony with the Father. He says the Father and I are one. And God himself has taken on human flesh and come to reveal himself to us. As John 1, 18 says, the, the only begotten uh, of God, Jesus Christ the Son, he has revealed God. He has 
exegeted him. If, the, if you look at the Greek word, he's, he's opened him up and we can see. And what is he like? He's full of grace and truth. That's what God is like. He's reached out to us. And how has he reached out to us? Well, in Christ, this one who is one with the Father, and he has come, and he's shown us sympathy. He understands where we're coming from. It means understanding and sympathetic participation in the destiny of others in all situations. It's looking at people and seeing where they're headed and seeing what their lives are like and and where they're going and being sympathetic to that. That's a description of what Jesus has done for us. We were lost, and he's sympathized with that. And he came to do something about it because we can't save ourselves. Brotherly love is, of course, there's no greater love than for someone to lay down their lives for us, and that's exactly what Jesus has done. The word is actually Philadelphia there. A tender heart. If you're looking at the King James, it says bowels there, which is kind of weird. And, uh, but that's where they, they in, the, in their thinking, that's where the, the seat of the emotions was. We talk about the heart. They talked about the bowels. Uh, it's just weird to think about, but they're saying heart. That's what they mean by it. A tender heart. Having a tender heart towards people. We live in a day... It's very rancorous. There's a lot of animosity. There's animosity along racial lines. There's animosity along political lines. There's animosity on all kinds of fronts. And people are arguing, fighting, and Facebook is filled up with people espousing their point of view and people arguing back and forth. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of anger in our world. All around us, what would it look like if we actually lived out our Christianity? It'd look much different than what we see going on in the world around us. It would make a difference. Rachel said something in Sunday school. She was talking about one of the, I think one of her students that she was teaching violin to came to the church and, and she began to see, and, and Rachel said she began to see uh, what the Christian worldview was like and how Christians behaved, lived, acted. And I'm wondering if, if people, do they, is, can we tell them what the Christian worldview is like? And if they looked at our lives, would they see how Christians are supposed to behave? Are they, are they seeing people with sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind, putting others first? That's what Jesus did for us. He humbled himself became obedient to the point of death. That's when we read Philippians 2 as our call to worship today. He humbled himself. He had every right to be treated like the king of the universe because he is. And he humbled himself and he became a a baby in a manger. Uh, He became a poor man who lived on the wrong side of the street or on the wrong side of the tracks, as we might say, in Nazareth. Uh, He was never wealthy, didn't have a place to lay his head. He was unjustly killed. He was reviled, but he didn't revile in return. Jesus has done all that to us, and he's our pattern, but we can't just force ourselves to live that way. 
to let go of the anger that we have. We, we're angry. Jesus had every right to be angry. No one, not one of us is righteous. You know, people can accuse us of things. They couldn't do that to Jesus. He was perfect in every way. And when they came at him with false accusations, he didn't insult in return. But he laid down his life. That was the mission. And see, he's telling us this, and, and Peter is telling those people who, who were suffering for their faith, he's saying, it's okay. You're in God's hands ultimately. You know, they can't take your eternal hope away that you have in Christ. It's like a, if a millionaire loses $100 suffering for the Christian on this earth. The inheritance that we have laid up for us is huge. And it's what we are putting our hope in as Christians, not in the things of this world. So Peter's telling this to these people who are, who are suffering. And, and he's telling them, look at Christ. Look at how he laid down his life. He didn't revile or, you know, take up his rights or force his way, but he loved. He, he loved to the uttermost. He laid down his life so that other people might be saved, and that's exactly what he's saying these people are to do. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now, that's not very American to think about I'm going to arm myself to think this way, to suffer. But it's having a mindset that we're going to go where our Lord has gone, to be his disciple, to, to follow him, to take up our cross daily, as he said, and follow him, and show the world what it means to be a Christian, to be sacrificial, to be humble, to be loving, to, be, to have the mind of Christ, to be united together in that mission to a lost and dying world, to feel sympathy for the lost. I pray that we can grasp what Christ has done. I'm, I'm kind of all over the map here this morning, but uh, I just want to encourage us this year as we go forward to think about these things. Maybe go back and read it. Uh, look at Ephesians 4. Look at Philippians 2, uh, look at Colossians 3, the same uh, exhortations that are given there by the apostles, Matthew 5, and to see in those passages to look first of all at Christ and how he exemplified those things, and as our Lord and Savior, how that should, we should bear the family resemblance as children of God to be like him and reach out to a lost and dying world. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we don't know exactly how to reach out in the times in which we live. And it's frustrating, and sometimes we are angry at the, the trends that we see all around us, and... Lord, it's easy for us to withdraw and to, to create a little holy club that 
hardly anyone else can get into. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a mindset that we're not going to get into the time wasters of the world, but have an urgency to know that judgment is coming and to have such an experience of your love that it overflows from our life into the lives of others. Lord, help us to be sympathetic and, and loving, having a tender heart and a humble mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.